everyone and welcome back to Dark Pages from the Old Attic. Today we have a really spooky story for you guys. And by me, I mean myself Ella and my classmate Clara. Hello. Yes. Welcome back to the second episode of our five-part podcast, where we read out a new ghost story for you every other week. And this time I got to pick the story, which means less mind stuff and more ghost action, with a sprinkle of character drive and development. Would there be any uh, deep dwellers from ancient Swedish folklore? Forgotten Swedish folklore. Very important detail. But no, the story takes place in Norway, actually. So, no deep dwellers. Okay, um, before we get into the story, I have a small question from last episode that some in the audience might also have. Yeah, shoot. You said your great-aunt Agnes worked for the UN and traveled a lot. That's a bit unusual. Would you mind elaborating on it? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so my mom told me she started working for the Unifem in the 70s, which is something with women's rights and promoting political influence, I think. And so she traveled a lot, I guess, met a lot of people and collected ghost stories while she was at it, I guess. Do you know why she collected them? Mm, I don't know. Maybe her weird icebreaker or something? Hello, woman in need of political influence. Tell me your best ghost story. Or maybe she was bored. <laughs> Doubtfully. Uh, so it's a slightly longer story this time, so maybe we should just get into it? Yeah, right, right. Did you give this one a name as well? Of course. I named it Spirit at Sea. I'm not sure when this story began, but a good place to start is when I was looking at the boat I had just bought back in 79, drinking a beer with its former owner at the quay in Narvik. She was a beautiful thing, just about 30 feet from boat to stern with a small cabin in the center behind the main mast, built for speed and not comfort, which suited me perfectly. She's a special one, said the former owner. A retired fisher called Sverre. Without a doubt, I said. Did you ever think why a sweet like you would have to come all the way up here to buy her? He said. I shrugged and took a swig of my beer. Because I happen to live that far away, I said. That's not what I mean, said Sverre. Why don't you think anyone here has bought her? Anyone closer to Gotland? I looked around the harbor and saw plenty of other sailboats. I shrugged again. It did seem a bit odd that he hadn't been able to sail her locally, but I wasn't going to tell him the reason I had sought a boat so far from home. She's a siren, said Sverre, under his breath, the tip of his bottle hovering close to the bearded mouth. I yawned. A siren? It was such a strange turn of the conversation that I almost lost all interest in the moment. Suddenly, I just wanted to get on with loading supplies on the boat for the journey south. Yes, said Sverre, but she doesn't draw in men at sea, but spirits. Those, long lost in the foaming waves, she calls them and gives them rest. She was like that ever since she was built. I can imagine that puts a dent in the price, I said. My attention turned to someone running down the waterfront towards us. I recognized the friendly receptionist at the hotel, and though I couldn't know, I felt I knew his purpose. Immediately, 
My mood darkened, and I turned back to Sverda and shook his hand. Well, I shall look out for spirits on my journey. Take good care of her, Mr. Arnholm. He had evidently caught sight of the approaching receptionist as well, and when he didn't appear to be leaving, I nodded to him and walked away. I didn't need anyone to overhearing this. I met the receptionist halfway down the quay and got the expected message. Mr. Arnholm, your wife called the reception. She wants you to call back as soon as possible. I cradled my beer bottle in my hand for a moment. Then, if she calls back, tell her you missed me. I'll be at sea for the next week or so. The wind was cold, whipping the sea into grey waves as I left Nowik. The weather was mild for the season, with the long nights north of the Arctic Circle stretching well into the dim light of day. Both storerooms in the prow and stern were packed with supplies, and with the lights of the town fading behind me, so did the troubles fade in my head. Soon, I was riding the waves, a firm hand on the tiller and the occasional spray of salt water on my face. It was exhilarating, and during the first few hours of the journey, I decided to rechristen the boat ran in honor of Sverre's final comments, the goddess of sea and capture of sailor souls seemed fitting. However, the spirit early hours of the journey came to an end when I plunged prow first into dense fog. In a matter of minutes, the dim lights from the coast of my port side grew fainter and fainter until they were completely lost. And in the darkness of the early night, I suddenly found my world had shrunk to just the foamy waves a few meters of my boat. It would be a challenge to navigate under these conditions. But nothing I couldn't handle. With my last known position marked on the map, all I had to do was keep track of speed, time and direction. I started my stopwatch, kept my eyes on the compass and made sure to keep a steady pace. Every 20 minutes or so, I would mark my new position on the map and soon my route was snaking its way down Narvik Fjord and down the Norwegian coast. For dinner, I cooked a can of beans on the propane stove and ate it with some hard bread. It was simple, but the warmth was welcome. I also heated some water for tea and got ready for the night, tying the tiller into position, checking the directions and sails. I would sleep for about 20 minutes at a time, waking up only to make sure the boat was heading in the right direction before going back to another long nap. In the still inking blackness of the morning, with not a star in sight, I finished my last nap had a cold breakfast and made a coffee on the stove while a cold drizzle fell all around me. Back home, people were getting ready for work and here I was in perfect isolation. Checking my map, adjusting the course and I couldn't have been happier. Suddenly, as I was sipping the warm brew, I felt a jerk in the tiller that made me spill my coffee into my lap. My heart raced as the possibilities of what had happened came to me. Had I struck a reef or an animal? I looked behind the boat but saw only the foamy trails disappear into the darkness. Testing the rudder by stirring sharply from side to side convinced me nothing was broken and the worst of my shock subsided. Then it happened again. A violent pull of the rudder that made the tiller slip from my hand. I caught it and checked the compass to make sure I hadn't been thrown off course. But while I was staring at the wobbly disc, there came another shudder. I took a firm hold of the tiller, jamming it under my arm and sat back, trying to figure out what was going on. It felt 
as if something was pulling the rudder below the water. And when it eventually stopped, I thought it must have been a strange current. Never had I experienced anything like it. But that was just a thing about the sea. It always had something new to throw at you. The entire day passed in heavy fog, which brightened with the rising sun and darkened again when it later set. Most of it I spent with the compass, watch and map. I did find some time to read a bit. And since the rudder stayed quiet, the events of the morning soon took a backseat in my mind. During the evening the fog lifted somewhat and I was able to take my map for nearby buoys and lights from land. I was right on course. Pleased with the precision of my navigation, I settled into the cycles of naps for the night. I awoke somewhat during the dead of night to a loud sound that sent me sprawling out of my sleeping bag. In my groggy days I looked to the tiller, but found it was still secured in the center position and the way the boat rode the waves felt normal. Only after a moment's confusion did I look around inside the cramped cabin and noticed all of my spare clothes were lying around on the opposite cot and floor, spread as if thrown about by a child. It had been stowed away neatly under the two cots when I went to sleep. I remembered the loud noise that had waked me up and wondered if a freakway had hit the boat and someone launched the clothes out of their compartments. It seemed unlikely, but it was the only explanation I could think of. So, instead of getting my next nap, I spent the time collecting and restoring my clothes, checking the compass and sails afterwards. The course was fine, but the fog had returned and obscured the world around me once again. The next day fell longer than the previous. As I made my way south, it passed unremarkably, except for a strange tapping sound that began around midday. It sounded like something light striking the bottom of the hull, but I could see no reefs in the water and the sound seemed too rhythmic to be caused by random collisions. I figured it was the hull stretching in the slightly warmer water here south, though the sound persisted well into the evening. As I was cooking dinner on my tiny propane stove, another sound replaced the tapping. It was a high-pitched whistle, sometimes too faint to notice, but other times it rose high enough to make my heart pound with fright. It was almost like a boiling kettle. I checked to see if it was the wind playing in the rigging, but none of my efforts to shift the ropes and sails changed the sound. I looked through the cabin but found nothing capable of making that sound. Regardless, it sounded like it was coming from the outside. Carefully, I slid to the prow and checked the storage compartments there. Nothing but food, spare clothes and propane canisters. Ahead of me came the endless waves of impenetrable darkness splashing against the stern. It sounded like the whistle came from out there, but that was impossible. Something had to be making that sound. I wondered if the wind was somehow causing a vibration in the hull and I went back to the tiller to test it. Once I had unfastened it, I pushed it to the side and watched my heading change on the compass. If it really was the wind making that noise, a change in direction should change the sound as well. But it didn't. Confounded, I sat back and bit my lips. It was hard enough working navigation in the blind without also having a constant whistle in my ears. Needless to say, it was difficult falling asleep that night and I woke almost immediately. The whistle was ear-piercing now, filling the small cabin with infernal screech. I sat up. 
Mostly angry at the nuisance, but that quickly turned to a panic as I saw the propane stove on the other cut. The blue flame danced under the kettle, which was blasting off steam with a high-pitched whistle. The sight of an untended flame on a rocking boat turned my blood to ice, and I scrambled to put it out. I had stowed it away safely after dinner, so it wouldn't roll around and destroy itself, and the kettle had been empty and tucked away. Was I sleepwalking? The thought alone filled me with dread, walking around alone on a boat at sea while asleep. I had heard stories of sailors walking off their vessels at night, never to be seen again, and I decided to tie myself to the cot for my next nap. For now I was too agitated to go back to sleep, so I made a cup of tea with the hot water and sat out at the tiller. It was cold and the fog felt damp. As I looked around the boat for my seat, a disturbing thought began taking shape in my head. Could there be someone else on the boat? It could explain some of the things that had happened, but where would someone stove themselves away? There was no way they could be in the cabin. There was barely room for two cuts in there, and I had gone through the drawers when I put my spare clothes back in place. I looked up at the mast and sails, but there was nothing but the rigging up there, swinging totally in the wind. I suddenly had a strange feeling I was being observed, and I kept my gaze at the top of the mast for a moment while I gathered the courage to look down again. Slowly, I lowered my gaze again, and I was relieved to find that the boat was empty as ever. The feeling persisted, but I put down my imagination. I had averted a dangerous situation with the burning stove, and now my mind was probably going through all the basic fears to fill out the unknown threat. That's what I told myself. The reasonable explanation. But it didn't make the feeling disappear. By the time I had calmed enough to attempt another nap, the wind had picked up. I did some deliberation before deciding it was still safe to catch some sleep. If the weather was worsening, I need all the energy I could get. So I tied a rope around my waist and secured it to the cot before crawling back into my sleeping bag. This time I was woken by my alarm clock after a full 20 minutes and after untying myself I went out to check on the weather conditions. The wind had picked up even more and the waves were towering around me. One moment I was in the trough with walls of dark water on all sides. The next I was riding on the top into freedom. As I dug back into the cabin to heat some water for coffee I heard a loud thump against the hall. This time, I was positive I had struck an animal, and I rushed out to look into the waves. But there was nothing. Whatever I had hit was under the surface, and would soon be gone in the dark night anyway. With coffee in one hand, and the book in the other, I settled down by the light of the lantern at the tiller. When I opened the book, a gust of wind tugged at the pages, and to my astonishment, they all flew into the air, blowing off the boat and into the foaming water. I stared at them, as the wind carried the most die-hard stragglers over the top of the waves out of view. What remained of the book lay as bright specks in the water next to the boat, drifting away as the sails carried me on. I just sat with the empty cover in my hand, trying to comprehend. The best explanation I could come up with was damp had gotten into the glue of the book spine and weakened it. But I didn't believe it. I just didn't know what to believe then. Watching the scattered pages fall behind the boat, I suddenly saw something among them. It looked like a dolphin surfacing in the midst of the floating pages, only to immediately dive again. A few moments later, it reappeared closer to the boat. I squinted, but the night was dark and whatever it was, was little more than a bright blur. 
Again, it disappeared, and I was beginning to believe it was gone for good, when it suddenly resurfaced on the foaming crest of the nearby wave, and only now I saw the face, slack mouth, full of darkness, empty eyes, full of darkness, limbs contorting and twisting to the shape of the wave, and then it dived again, and I felt the icy water had soaked through my raincloths. Despite my shock, I should probably call the coast guard, but then I thought of all the trouble that would entail and the floating face came back to my mind, and I just turned the tiller and hoped the wind would carry me swiftly away from the gruesome thing. Hardly had I turned the boat before a dense bank of fog struck me from the stern. In a matter of moments, the waves were out of sight, and I might as well have shut my eyes for all good they did me now. I checked the compass and map and hoped I had my speed right as I tried to plot a new course, but then I heard it again, coming from somewhere off the boat out amongst the unseen waves. A whistle, thin and sharp, cutting straight through my bones. I stumbled to the cabin, brought out my flashlight and turned the beam towards the open sea. I felt like a lighthouse, scanning the surroundings, but wherever the light pierced through the foggy night, all I saw was foamy waves crashing angrily around me. As the beam passed over the prow, I froze. I was certain I had seen something. A silhouette sitting in the stern of the boat. But it couldn't be. I was the only one on board. Yet, I hesitated to reverse the beam back to the prow to double check. I wasn't sure what I would do if I was right. Gritting my teeth, I forced my hand to sweep the flashlight back again. But the light fell on an empty prow. Instead of relief, I felt a primordial terror of having lost sight of a thread. I turned the flashlight to the cabin, but the cold light only revealed the two cuts and stoved away supplies and equipment. If it hadn't been for the fog, I would have turned the boat straight east and sought out a place to land, but navigating the rocky coast of Norway blindly was tantamount to suicide. When a few hours had passed and the coffee had gone cold in my hands, I realized the whistle had stopped. I decided to go for it, get a nap while I could. Sleep deprivation wouldn't help my situation one bit, so I set the clock, disconnected the propane from the stove and took the canister with me into my sleeping bag. In the rocking darkness, I fell asleep almost immediately. Something was up from the moment I awoke. The alarm clock was silent, but when I checked the time, I saw I had been out for hours. The boat rocked violently, and I struggled to get out of my sleeping bag. The propane canister fell out with me and rolled down the pitching deck towards the tiller and bumped into a pair of pale, bony feet. My breath arrested in my throat, going still, unlike the wind that was slashing the sea beyond the cabin. Sitting with a gnarly hand on the tiller was a man, lean as a skeleton, dressed in a tattered blue shirt and fainted yellow trousers. They seemed to be made of wool and flapped helplessly around the bony frame. I could not see his face, for his long hair blew in front of it and covered it completely. I stood there stood under the low ceiling of the cabin and stared at him, waiting for him to do something, to acknowledge my wakefulness, to come for me. But he stayed in place, moving the tiller from side to side with the motions of the boat. I don't know how much time passed like that, but eventually I managed to creep forward. I had to do something. He didn't respond to my advance and I felt slightly bolder, bold enough to go all the way to the end of the cabin, I was only a meter away from him, but still, I couldn't see his face. 
The wind seemed to keep his hair in front of his face at all times, never blowing it aside. Hello? I whispered completely inaudible in the heavy wind and the crashing waves. When he didn't respond, I glanced at the compass. He seemed competent with the tiller, and if he was taking us south, there was no reason to remove him. But the needle wasn't pointing south. We were heading due west, away from the coast and into the vast and empty ocean. We need to go south, I shouted over the noise of the wind. He turned his head towards me, but still his face was covered. South, I shouted again. When he still didn't respond, I moved towards him. Look, but he was gone. The tiller hung limply for a moment, then began swinging idly from side to side. Instinct overcame me and I grabbed it, shoving it hard to starboard. The boat rocked at the sudden change of heading and I watched the needle of the compass sway and swing around. Water splashed on the glass and I realized it wasn't from the waves but the beginnings of rain. I wiped the glass and when it pointed southeast I leveled out the tiller and looked ahead for the next wave to navigate. And I saw him at the mast. His dark hair flew before his face like a tattered banner. While his pallid fingers worked with the nuts of the rigging, I shouted out as the rope slackened and the sail began flapping dangerously. It didn't stop him, and I quickly secured the tiller before stumbling toward over the cabin towards the mast and the unwelcome passenger. He was gone before I could get to him, and I had my hands full pulling the rope back down and retying the nuts with my freezing fingers. I managed to get the sail under control, but when I turned back to the tiller, I saw a strange light dancing on the wet deck. It was orange and warm, and I almost slid off the side into the sea as I scrambled to get back. My sleeping bag was on fire on the cot, and all I could do was grab it with my bare hands and pull it out into the rain. It was burning my skin, and I flung it clean over the railing. It continued to burn in the water for a moment, failing behind and vanishing amongst the towering waves. Some of the water on my face felt hot, and I screamed with pain and despair. Through the hairy showers, I could see the figure at work on the prow where the foresail was fastened. At that moment, I wanted nothing more than to grab a life jacket, strap in, and fling myself into the sea. Anything to get away from this cursed vessel. It was hours until dawn, and I didn't even know if it would be the end of my torment. If I had to battle every second until then, I might as well try my luck elsewhere. But when I looked into the foaming madness beyond the boat, I knew the salvation I would find out there was a permanent kind. Clenching my scorched hands, I went for my life jacket and tied it carefully on as the foresail began flapping. When the jacket was secured, I climbed forward. Again, my tormentor vanished. It was a dance we would repeat over and over and over during the long hours of the howling darkness. There was no end to the triggery, and at times I felt sure the boat would capsize or I would kneel over with exhaustion. At some point, I sat at the tiller, looking warily around, looking for the next trouble, only to realize I had done so for a while. The sea was white and grey now, as the light of dawn shone through the heavy clouds above. As I came to my senses, I saw a dark smudge on the horizon. The coast. It didn't matter where in the world I had ended up. I headed for shore. It turned out to be Norway. Eventually I found a small harbor where I could recover. When the weather improved, I dared a dash south and soon found myself in the crowded waters between the Danish Isles. It was smooth sailing back to Gotland. I can't tell you 
if what happened was real or my mind going wild in the tense situation I had found myself in. At any rate, you would think this experience kept me from ever sailing again, but quite the opposite happened. My seamanship was tested beyond reason and I made it through. Only, I never sail alone anymore. I always have my wife and children with me now. Anyway, that was it. That was my story. Well, what did you think of a story with some good ghost action? Mm, it was certainly more eventful than the last story, but we got a good look inside the sailor's mind. I liked that he was close to breaking, but managed to pull through by his own actions. Yeah, but what about the ghost? It was decently creepy. Perhaps more so because it basically represented the fears of the sailor. Like with the fire on the boat, the rigging going loose, the boat hitting something on the water. Maybe the boat represented his life. Or maybe his relationship. Oh yeah, of course. And it sounds like he got his life sorted out towards the end. Just like he sorted out the stuff from the boat. Crazy. How a big scary event like that can get your priorities straight. Uh, Alright. Well, next time it's my turn to pick the story. So look forward to some subtle but scary stuff. Ooh. Will you pick more romantic drivel? <laughs> you will never know. Until next time. In two weeks, when we will be back with the third episode. So until then, take care. Yes, have a spooky week. And remember to never sail alone. Halloween is just around the corner and we hope today's episode helped you get into the spooky season. Today's episode of Dark Pages from the Old Attic was written and voiced by Zoe and Vicky Sivang. We release a new episode every other Friday and you can head over to our Instagram at Dark Pages Podcast for updates, teasers and illustrations for each episode. If you wish to support us, give us a rating and review on the platform you are listening to the podcast. And don't let your friends miss out on the spooky times. You can contact us on Instagram or by email at darkpagespodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and have a great Halloween.